Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Sarah Ellis. And I'm Helen Tepper. And you're listening to the Squiggly Careers Podcast. Each week we talk about a different topic to do with work and discuss practical ideas and actions to help you develop in your career and be successful in this increasingly squiggly world of work. And this is episode 157. (laughs) Um, And I say it like that because we've actually had a little bit of feedback from new people that have found the podcast and said, I really like it, but um, I'm finding it a bit overwhelming that there's 150 plus episodes and I don't quite know where to start. So we we trialed something last week, which was personal playlists. And it was on our Instagram, which is just at amazing if you've not kind of gone there yet. But we said to people, look, we've had this feedback about it being overwhelming. Would personal playlists help where you give us a challenge that you've got in your career at the moment and we pick the three podcasts that we think would help you the most and we had so many messages from people who said yes that would be amazing so what we've done is I think there must be about eight or nine we took the eight or nine topics that people most requested so you know trying to find a new job starting a new job uh, relationships with people building my brand and standing making my strength stand out we took the nine that were most popular for people that got in touch with us and have created nine personal podcast playlists and it's on our Instagram and it's under the highlight section of our Instagram we'll just direct messages and we'll send you there but go there if you're struggling to navigate the podcast definitely go there but also don't forget that if you would like a personal podcast playlist from the squiggly careers podcast you can just get in touch with us so drop us an email helen and sarah at squigglycareers.com tell us like what your career challenge is and then what we'll do is we'll reply back with the three podcast episodes that we think would help you most to get started in sort of tackling that problem I do feel like today's episode should perhaps come with a health warning, certainly uh, from my perspective. So we're recording this on a Sunday night and I feel like this could be a disaster or really dazzling. So we're on tenterhooks. Is that a new scale hooks. from disaster yeah. to dazzling? <laughs> so uh, we're all going to find out. I think listeners, it's fair to say I've had a tough 72 hours. It's not been my best three days. And even today, I've had three coffees because our toddler was up for lots of the night and one of our neighbours was having a big party, which they very kindly pre-warned us about. But it did mean we had to move our toddler into our bedroom and all sorts of shenanigans. There's not been loads of sleep. I've had to take an antihistamine because I have 15 huge bites all over me. I love that you know how many you've got. Is that yeah. bad that you've like, I'm counting these damn things? Oh, well, that was obviously to get the sympathy vote from uh, <laughs> my partner and boyfriend. So I was like, look, at, and honestly, they are, I'm not exaggerating. They are all bigger than like the bottom of your cup. That's how big they are. They're massive. Um, Good measuring device. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think like how to... Like... The bottom of my cup. Okay. <laughs> and I've also had a G&T. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's a little while ago now because then I did actually uh, think oh I'm meant to be doing a podcast in about two hours I should drink some water but um I was commiserating because we didn't win at the British Podcast Awards last <laughs> night and we don't play anything cool to be honest either of us ever um so obviously we really wanted to win and then we were really disappointed when we didn't that was... I don't think my husband knew what to do with me because <laughs> <laughs> basically when we didn't win I was obviously still watching it um and I was like oh, I need I, to text Sarah really quickly did you stop it <laughs> I was like, I need to text Sarah. And he was like, well, what, what are we doing about dinner? And I was like, I don't know, cook your own dinner. So I was just like basically just messaging you. Aww. And then after about 10 minutes, I was like, well, you could have come back in. He was like, Helen, I didn't really know what to do with you. Yeah. Well, my partner just started saying, oh, well, is yours really a business podcast? And I mean, I like, unhelpful comment. And I was like, fine. Like, I was like, yes. And our toddler was back up. So literally, this is like the surrealness sometimes of these things, especially when your award ceremony is you at home on a Zoom. I was sort of <laughs> there on the Zoom, you know, doing my happy face and then obviously practicing my gracious loser face. And then within about five minutes, as I was like lying in my toddler's bed, watching like Gruffalo or something, thinking, what is happening? How is this my actual life? <laughs> I know. But um, I think it segues nicely in today's topic about being optimistic. I feel like... Uh, Which we had planned before, like it was always going to be about being optimistic, but I think it does feel like, as ever, we hope this is helpful to you, but every one of these podcasts that we record is helpful for us as well, so it does feel very apt as a topic. I mean, I do feel like tonight we're probably just doing like self-help for ourselves, (laughs) and if people listen, it's useful, great, but it's probably mainly for our own benefit. (laughs) Well, let us know, hopefully this helps you too. So let's start with why. Like, why do we need to be optimistic? What does it mean to be optimistic? Because it does feel like one of those things, perhaps, that we might mistake for or just assume to be something we all kind of have or we haven't, or perhaps everyone has a certain level of it. And is it something that really we can change? And I've always really loved this quote from Margaret Heffernan about optimism. It's really stuck with me. She says, optimists aren't idiots (laughs) which just makes me laugh and then she says they do better in life they live longer healthier more successful lives for the simple reason that they don't ignore problems or give up easily and I think if we build on that idea from Margaret Heffernan a lot of what brings optimism together is your ability to see opportunity versus pessimism where perhaps your feeling is more around powerlessness is that a word? It is now. Is that a word? Okay. <laughs> you can have it I tonight. Mean, maybe that's a post-GNT word. We'll see. And avoiding problems. So it's kind of that opportunity versus problems. And Margaret Heffernan goes on to say that optimists are especially productive because they're more likely to ask for help, which I thought was really interesting. So they collaborate more. They trust other people. And therefore, in those tough moments, in those moments where we need to be resilient, you kind of have more capacity and you have more support around you. Do you know what? That really made me smile because I think we put something, um, a post on Instagram today just to say to everybody, oh, you know, thank you for supporting us in the podcast, but we didn't win, a bit disappointed. And we had so many messages from people just saying, A, first of all, I think calling us from a growth mindset perspective going, oh, you didn't win yet, don't worry. <laughs> no, I and I, and I was thinking, oh, people really do listen to what we've got to say, which I really enjoyed. And also people being incredibly supportive and saying we really enjoy it it's just one award helping you to kind of see perspective and actually in that moment I think our community people really rallied around us clearly feeling a bit down having a bit of a tough day and therefore you've not really explicitly there asked for help but people have kind of been proactive in their help of you 
and you then kind of feel better you feel more optimistic more quickly to the point where you know you can start to move on and you don't get bogged down in it or drawn into something that you know you want to then kind of move forward and have positive momentum from and even in listening to you talk about optimism there Sarah you said quite a few words that I think make almost optimism feel like this theoretical hard to do thing so you've mentioned like it's about asking for help it's about resilience it's about trust it's about collaboration like I sometimes think optimism feels like everything and when I was <laughs> digging into optimism there was like these are all the factors that came up when it was like optimism includes happiness motivation hopefulness self-esteem self-confidence resilience gratitude and a sense of achievement and you're like oh my goodness that's like everything good I'm ever supposed to do I found quite a simple definition so if we think gosh that's a lot of factors this podcast is never going to be long enough to cover every single one of those factors but at its simplest optimism in terms of what it means is basically a view think about it as a view is a where you might view the world as being a good place and where your perception is that things will turn out okay so let's take away all those like multitude of factors and just think at its simplest it's you thinking do you know what this is a good place and things are going to turn out okay versus pessimism where you know your thought process there is the world is not a good place or people are not good people and things will turn out for the worst. That's kind of as at its most binary. And again, in the research, it shows that actually 25% of people's sort of attitude towards optimism and their openness towards it is actually genetic. So 25% of whether you're a really optimistic person or not is based on things that we can't control. But the rest of it is skill. So the rest of it can be learned. It can be developed. We can take on tools and techniques and develop habits that help us to think about well how I believe I genuinely believe that things will turn out okay and as a starting point one of the things that I'd recommend taking is something called the life orientation test which I've done Sarah and this is a tool that was developed mid 80s and it's quite a standard psychological tool now and it has lots of different questions that basically assess as like your your starting point are you more of a pessimist or more of an optimist and it evaluates your future outlook so I took the test Sarah oh, what yeah. percentage optimist do you think I am 80 20 oh close-ish I think I was like 94% optimist <laughs> and 6% pessimist so I was like oh even tonight even tonight I mean I've had some rosé but I was quite <laughs> quite impressed um so yeah I think we want to help you you know with that 75% that is learnable tonight's podcast is very much about helping you uh, with some tools and techniques to really treat this as a skill to learn optimism and there are two types of optimism, which actually I didn't really appreciate. And I do find these quite helpful just to perhaps see which one of these you feel like you might be more inclined to naturally be. Because I definitely read these and thought, oh, one of these is certainly more me than the other. So see if one of these perhaps fits for you perhaps more than the other. The first is you can be an, an expectant optimist. And that means that you see problems and it's really important to say, I think, that optimists don't ignore problems. They, they're not kind of relentlessly positive, but the difference is they see problems and they anticipate improvement. And they've sort of got a desire and a will to make things better. They've kind of got a fighting spirit, I guess, to kind of find their way through problems. And then you've got explainers. And explainers accept that bad news is neither permanent, so things can improve, nor universal. So this is, might not be a good moment for me, but I understand there's a good moments happening kind of elsewhere. There are other good things happening kind of elsewhere. And I think I am definitely that first one. And I think I'm a real expectant optimist. Do you think you're the same, mm -hmm. Helen? Or? No, I think I'm an explainer. Ah, maybe that's why we're a good combo. 
Maybe. I say that, but not, not good enough to win an award. Stop. <laughs> moving on, moving on. I know. I'm, I'm accepting that bad news isn't permanent, that things can improve, and it's not yeah, universal. That's, do you know what? That's true, because I think the first thing you said to me was like, oh, we'll just apply again next year. <laughs> <laughs> also, next year, there'll be a party, I hope, which I know you won't like, but I'm like, oh, there'll be an actual party with that was the second people thing you said to me. <laughs> so. And I do think this topic also relates or kind of segues really well into Sean Acker's work and actually a lot of the work by Martin Seligman who talks a lot about something called learned optimism they both are positive psychologists as you kind of expect that's the kind of the the stream of research and thinking that really informs a lot of what we're going to talk about today but a particular stat that again has always stayed with me from Sean Acker and he's got a really good TED talk is that 90% of our happiness is determined by how our brain processes the world and 10% by outside events. So I think this sort of, again, makes that point. It links back to kind of Helen's point around we have a kind of inherent starting point. I almost think in terms of, you know, if you're going glass half full versus glass half empty, we probably all have a kind of where do we start from, but that you can kind of fill that glass more and more. There's a lot within our control here. It is worth kind of saying that it is a skill that you can learn. I find it interesting that Martin Seligman called his book learned optimism because i do think it's one of those things sometimes you just feel like oh can i learn this or can't i but actually there's some really kind of simple tactics that we're going to talk through that can just really help i think raise your levels of optimism so how many have we got helen for tonight five i think we've got five Five, yeah five top tips to learn optimism everybody Do you want me to start with the three Ps? Yes, definitely. Teach Um, me. So I really like this one. And I've talked about this actually some of our workshops and to Helen a few times. We've started to bring it into some of the work that we do, which is the three pessimism Ps. (laughs) So basically there are these three Ps of when, when are we most likely to be pessimistic? Because I think everyone has pessimistic moments. I don't think this is about trying to be you know, 94% optimistic all of the time. I think it's okay to have those moments where you do feel pessimistic, but perhaps work out what triggers or where do I have more of a tendency to be pessimistic? And then I could think you can think very action focused in terms of, okay, in those moments, what might I choose to do to kind of get back into kind of more of an optimistic frame of mind? So the three P's are personal, pervasive and permanent. And let's just talk a little bit about each of those. So personal is that when things go wrong or you're having a tough day, a tough moment, a tough month, you really kind of blame yourself. So, yeah, you perhaps become, it's kind of victim-like behaviour. You give yourself a really hard time. You're your own worst critic. And what I would say out of those three Ps, every time I do this exercise with people in a workshop where I get people to vote on which is the one that's most likely to hold them back, I would say this is by far and away the most common. So we'll come back to kind of some actions, particularly on that one. So first one is personal. Pervasive is where you are today, you think it's going to be the same forever. So I'm not good at this activity, or I'm not good at this project. I'm never going to be good at this project, things are never going to get better. So we talked before about explainer optimists. So people who understand that bad news is not permanent, and things can improve exactly as Helen is this is kind of the exact opposite of that. It's kind of going, things won't improve. How they are today is how they're always going to be. And perhaps we can recognise that. I was thinking, I definitely think perhaps I've done that before, perhaps in an organisation structure. You know, thinking like, oh, it's just too hard to do these things here. Mm, Or that team is never going to change or this process is never going to change. So it's just the way it is here. It's just the way it is around here. And I 
you think you don't do that one but the more I think about that one and talk about it the more I think oh I think we probably are all guilty of that at some point and then permanence is where if you've made a mistake or if something kind of goes wrong you sort of feel like every time you do that thing you're always going to make mistakes you know I made a mistake on this project every time I'm gonna I do something a bit like this I'm gonna make another mistake this is a permanent state rather than something that I can kind of actively change essentially going I'm going to stay still in terms of my current state and so particularly I think when you think about the personal one one maybe kind of helpful thing to kind of think about is just rather than thinking what did I do wrong which I think is perhaps people's default mode. If something goes wrong, disastrous day like I had on Friday where I felt like it was me versus tech. And most of the time I'm very kind of pro-tech and the technology that we use really helps us. But I had a day where I just thought, no, the technology is winning. The technology is beating me. And I think if you take that really personally, my approach to that could have sounded like, oh, do you know what? I'm just not as good at technology as Helen. I do sometimes think that. That's quite a kind of pessimistic view. Or I've not spent enough time learning about technology. I need to do more of this. Start beating yourself up. Those kind of phrases versus going, okay, well, what could I learn? What could I learn from a Friday afternoon where all of my tech seemed to fail? What could I do differently next time? How do I perhaps give myself a day or 24 hours to feel like, okay, well, that was a tough Friday afternoon, but perhaps next week, what am I going to try out in terms of technology? Perhaps to give myself a bit of confidence in what I can do versus what I can't do. So it's just kind of recognising that moving from blame, which feels quite passive, I think, to actually making what you can learn, which is something much more active, because then you move to doing. And sometimes people with the personal one, I've heard people say, oh, you know, always recognise that we're part of a team and there's never just you involved in something. And that's definitely true. But I worry sometimes if you take something really personally to just say, oh, well, it's just not about you, it's everyone together, doesn't feel close enough to how people are feeling in that moment because you are blaming yourself. So personally, I find that really useful. So when I blame myself moving from, well, what have I done wrong to what could I learn, I think feels like a really helpful transition in your thinking to make. I think as well that transition bit's important. I don't always think that has to be immediate. Like, Let's say something's happened, a project's gone wrong at work or you've had a conversation with someone that's made you just feel really negative. I don't think that you have to go, oh, just snap out of it and stop personalising yeah. and making this pervasive and stop making it permanent. Like, I think it's okay for half an hour, an hour, or do you know what, even 24 hours just to be like, this is just rubbish. That was a rubbish conversation or a rubbish day or a rubbish outcome. But I think don't do it longer than that. It's a difference, I think, between just giving yourself just a little bit of time to acknowledge it rather than wallow in it. You might need to work out where mm. your line is between acknowledging your it wallow. and wallowing. <laughs> yeah, like everyone might have a slightly different wallow line, but maybe be honest with yourself about where your line is, where you've gone through acknowledging that that was a bit rubbish to just moaning about it I think at the point at which you're wallowing that's where you want to bring out those three p's and then maybe our second tip actually is a good when you get to that kind of sort of wallow tipping point our second tip might be useful for you and that's really about positive reframing which you know might sound like a bit of a silly term but it's really just about changing the narrative because if your narrative is something's gone wrong for you and your narrative is, oh, that's really rubbish, I'm really unhappy about it, I feel like I've failed. Those words, I feel like they have a compounding impact on your pessimism, you know. So Sarah mentioned something that I wrote on Instagram when we hadn't won the award and, you know, did it sort of almost 
not quite 24 hours, but almost 24 hours afterwards. But I really thought about the words that I was using in that post because I didn't want to say words like lost. Like I didn't want to say we had lost something. I didn't really want to use something like failure because for me, they felt quite disempowering words. Those like we've lost something, I've failed. They didn't make me feel great. And I think instead of where I got to is that we'd missed out on the moment. For me, that felt a bit better because it made it, it didn't sound permanent. A moment to me doesn't sound permanent. Whereas I think I've lost something, I've failed. That feels like a marker, but missed out on a moment or that for me feels like something that isn't quite so permanent. So I think use language and reframe the things that have gone wrong in a way that works for you. I came across this quote from Winston Churchill, which I really, really liked. Um, he had said in his wise way that success isn't final, failure isn't fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. And what I really liked about that quote is even success is just a moment in time. Just because you've had one success doesn't mean you're always going to be successful. And failure is very rarely fatal. You know, both of those things are quite fleeting. I think it's your courage to continue, as he says, that counts. And, and in order to have courage, I think you've got to have that belief, that belief that you can continue. So yeah, just make sure you're using whether it's a quote that works for you or language like me using that missed out on a moment rather than saying I have failed just frame it in a way that is empowering for you to keep going. Yeah, it's interesting. As you were talking, I was thinking, often we talk about you can overstate your successes, like your really big successes, and then you can fall into this kind of trap of spending too long trying to almost like figure out your failures. And one of the um, kind of actions that we often recommend when we're talking to people about kind of building their resilience is to write down very small successes. And it's a really simple thing you can do where just every day you write down a very small success or perhaps as a team we often suggest doing something called win of the week everyone in the team as the name suggests you just share your win and it could be personal it can be professional and often in those moments where you need a bit of optimism sometimes looking to a different area of your life can be really useful so you know we were both laughing about last night having I was then you know in bed with my toddler within half an hour watching the Gruffalo but in some ways, actually seeing some other successes in your life just gives you that moment of pragmatism and realism. And they're both things that optimists are kind of good at having. They kind of recognise that one thing going wrong in one area doesn't mean that everything else is going wrong. Also, one brilliant success doesn't mean that you don't have to keep working or that everything else is going to go right. So perhaps that's something else. If you're sort of feeling like, do you know what, I'm struggling a little bit to feel optimistic right now. And actually, I mean, we've joked about it tonight because of kind of where we are in the week that we've had but it's tough it's a tough moment in time for many people and you might be feeling like actually I'm I'm really struggling with this there's lots of reasons to perhaps not feel optimistic right now but for you if you every day kind of just write down one very small success perhaps that just starts to give you that sense of confidence you are making some progress that there are kind of good things kind of happening right now and that also, yes, there might be some things, you know, in your world or kind of in the world at large that are distressing and make us feel pessimistic. But also there are some good things too. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So I'm not sure what you're going to think about this third one, Sarah, uh, which is, I think actually its origins are Martin Seligman's work, but it's about a gratitude exercise. So I think a lot of people talk about keeping a gratitude diary, and I feel like this is one step further than the gratitude diary. I know, (laughs) because the gratitude diary really is just you, and in case you haven't come across it, it's a research-proven way of feeling more positive about yourself and your impact. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, you write down three things you're grateful for, but that's for you, and just to kind of for you to reflect, and the intention there is not necessarily that you share it with anybody um the next one is what i'm going to talk about which is where you share this with somebody so the gratitude exercise beyond these three reflection points is that you think about somebody who is important to you in the context of your work so i might think about sarah for example and then you write down about 300 words which apparently is about roughly a page i haven't done this yet so i'm thinking i might do it but it feels a bit awkward so if i think it's awkward i bet sarah's gonna think it's worse so you write down 300 words about basically why you're grateful to that person about the impact that they have had on you at work once you've written it you then either go and meet with that person or you call them and then you read them your gratitude letter and this is apparently supposed to have a very very positive impact on how you feel about the person and how you feel about your work and your overall sense of optimism so action number four is about the people that you spend time with so A lot of the research that talks about optimism is it's not just about you, it's who you surround yourself with. We talked previously about this idea of, you know, stick with the radiators and ditch the drains, which sounds harsh, I think, and at times I think unrealistic because we do sometimes have to spend time with people who are more pessimistic or we go away from those conversations and, you know, you just feel like, oh, someone has kind of brought you down or perhaps they they avoid the problems or it always feels kind of quite negative to have a conversation with those people if you can mitigate and kind of minimize I think the time that you spend with those people and if you can really think about who are your optimist energizers I was thinking before this conversation I think there are three to five people that I could specifically name 
who are my optimist energizers, who if I was ever feeling down or having a tough moment or just needed that injection of optimism, every time I kind of spend time with them, I feel even more optimistic. And I do actually think I'm a relatively optimistic person most of the time, but I think I feel more optimistic after a conversation or an email with them. And again, it's not because they are happy, smiley, relentlessly positive about everything. Not at all. I think they're people who definitely see problems, really enjoy kind of solving them, but they are probably optimistic about maybe the work that we're trying to do. And they're optimistic about me. Those two things are actually quite an important combination of the optimism that you have in people and the belief that you have in people that people are good, that people are trying their best, are trying to do brilliant work and kind of really feeling optimistic about people and their potential and then feeling optimistic about whatever it is that problem you're trying to solve. I feel like if you can get a person where that Venn diagram overlaps, those people are just like, they're so energizing and so motivating to spend time with. They're the people you want to work for, I always think. Let's say you're in a team or you're in an organization where it feels like the drain to radiator ratio is not in your <laughs> favor. Um, it might be that you can't suddenly stop working with some people. But I think just think about, and actually this goes on to our last tip, think about what you can and can't control. That's the last tip. What you might not be able to control is who the people are, you know, that you're in your team or that are in the organization that we work with. But you can consciously think about, well, who are the people that I've identified as being more like a radiator for me? And how can I consciously spend some more time with them maybe it might be on side projects or maybe you could ask them to be like you know you do some peer mentor or what I've done in the past and you know Sarah and I have done this together is we're passionate about learning some really similar things and so even though I might have been having a really hard time at work and being with some people that haven't always given me lots of energy I've always known even before Amazing If that I could chat to Sarah and we just talk about some career stuff or learning or leadership because we like learning that stuff together and you know we didn't used to work together and that would give me that energy and that was something that I was in control of you you are in control of the things that you're passionate about you are in control of finding other people that might share that passion with you and then think about how you can spend some time with them so you can't always control who you spend your time with every minute of every working day but if that isn't looking great just because of the makeup of work right now you can think about what can I do outside of work so I can get that balance reflective of something that feels good for me and that theme about thinking about what you can and can't control I think that is broader than the people you know if maybe what's making you pessimistic is you're saying well work's not really good at the moment maybe I don't know maybe there's a lot of redundancies maybe there's a lot of restructures that's hard for a lot of people right now and that's not necessarily something that you control you can't control you know how your organization is going to respond to that you can't control what's going on in the external market but maybe what you could control is that you might go and proactively learn some stuff that might make you feel good about uh, what opportunities might come open for you or maybe what you could control is how you're investing in your network or maybe what you could control is in how you're building your brand and getting your strengths out there all that stuff is stuff that you can control so if you're feeling in the thick of it and you're feeling like maybe the pessimism thing is just becoming a bit bigger for you at the moment, maybe just take a pause, think about all the stuff that's going on at the moment, which might be contributing to it, and then think about, well, what can I control here and what can't I control? And maybe just leave the things that you can't control to one side and put all of your really productive, conscious, positive efforts into the things that you can control. And to finish where we started, when you read Margaret Heffernan's work on this, she says that often we 
don't give ourselves credit for just how much we can control. So often we almost see too much as being outside of our control. But when we really interrogate it or think about how we might experiment or the problems that we're kind of passionate about solving there's more that we can do than we give ourselves credit for so I think it's ironic you sort of need to approach it with an optimistic frame of mind to kind of go okay well what do I think I could do what can I do what difference could I make and you might start really small with something you feel really confident that you are in control of but I think don't kind of limit yourself too soon you know sometimes I just think we we feel like things are out of reach or maybe just too tough. And again, back to our point around this is both about you but also the people around you. You might not be able to control everything, but perhaps if you team up with a couple of other people, there's even more you can achieve and together you might feel more optimistic because of something that you can make happen together. So again, don't feel like you have to do all of this in isolation. So we really hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode. Thank you very much for being on the journey with us and podcast as a whole, you know, all 157 episodes, but also this episode, because I think, you know, we definitely started this episode today in a bit of a interesting topic for the last few days. And I definitely, you know, I definitely feel better because of it. And I, there's a lot in there that I will take away and do, including my 300 words and sending someone a voicemail, which they're going to get this week. So thank you so much. Don't forget that if this is an episode that you enjoyed or you just enjoy listening to the podcast um, generally um, we would love it if you could leave us a review it really helps us to find new people and help other people with their career and otherwise just subscribe and we'll be back with you next time thank you so much everybody bye everyone thank you so much for listening speak to you again soon Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.